Good morning, church. So back in Nigeria, this is the way we greet in between Christmas and New Year. Merry Christmas in arrears. Happy New Year in advance. We love the in-between. For those who have not met with you, my name is Zach Sgeyer. I'm the director of outreach here at Faith Covenant Church. Today we want to consider something that, we, that will prepare us for our consecration prayers. But not only that, it's going to help us to finish the year or to end the year well so that we can begin the new year well as well. So we are taking a break from our series, The Asian Path. So that's not part of the series. This is a standalone sermon. I want to make that clear so that you don't confuse uh, uh, the flow of our sermon series. Now, before I jump into exposing some of the things that we are going to be considering in Matthew 25, let me share with you a story that a friend of mine shared with me about his daughter, Emma. Emma was afraid, according to him, to take her turn at the bat when she started softball. But her coach patiently encouraged and worked with her. Often, Emma heard his calm but firm words. If you don't swing the bat, you cannot hit the ball. Emma grew to understand that everyone strikes out and that the greater failure is never to swing the bat. I think I find similarities between this story and the text we have read. Thank you, Hanneman, for reading this long passage. Our text for today is a continuation of the previous parable. If you look at Matthew 25, from verses 1 through 13, it talks about the very familiar ten virgins. Then the second, or the third, and the last uh, parable here is from verse 31 through 46. And it's about people that are in their need, how Jesus will expect us to respond to them. Then our text today is about three servants. Sometimes we say about the talents or about the bag of gold or bags of gold. However, I want to uh, level this section. The important thing is, what is Jesus trying to communicate to us? Now, anti-scholar Ben Wellington, the thought, suggests we consider the first two as twin parables. In this case, we notice a complementary female and male parallelism that indicates they should be seen as equal in honor and grace, but also in dishonor and disgrace. The point here is we are equal before the Lord. These three parables do have one thing in common. Jesus wants his disciples to wait for him. But to wait 
doing something. Not just to wait. The first parable of the ten virgins, Jesus warned them to prepare while waiting. Our text, Jesus warned them to be faithful stewards as they wait. And the last parable, Jesus warned them to practice kingdom ethics as they wait for him. Friends, as we look at this parable this morning, I hope you will hear what Matthew is trying to tell us. That Jesus wants his disciples to be diligent and faithful in their stewarding, especially of their gifts, opportunities, and resources, so as to advance the kingdom of God as they wait. As I look at this text, I found three truths that we can consider. The first is found in verses 14 through 18. The master gave his servants his possession. Now, while the man is preparing to leave, according to verse 4, he called his own servants and entrusted his possession to them. And he did this based on their ability. Friends, as we look at verses 14 through 18, we notice about three things there. There is a relationship between the master and the servants. If you look at the original text, some of our translations is slaves, some servants. You can translate that as employee if you're going to use a contemporary language. So it's a relationship between an employer and employee. The point is there is a relationship between these two groups. Then the second is the generosity of the master. He gave them something. He gave them gold. He gave them talents, if we're going to use the Bible language. And he was so fair and just in the way he distributed this gift. It is based on their ability. As we look at this text, I know that those of us who are English readers, we can get confused with this word talent. In the Greek word, it is talentum. And this simply means a measurement of precious stone. Eventually, it became a unit of the highest currency. Now, the first reader wouldn't have understood this to mean spiritual abilities or natural talents, the way we quickly jump to that conclusion. As I said, it is more of responsibilities and privileges of the kingdom given on to the disciples based on their abilities. Having said that, though, recent scholarship suggests that the talents could symbolize natural abilities and spiritual endowments. So we're not completely off, but we have to be faithful to the text. Friends, similarly, the Lord gives us gift, the first of which is our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're told that for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works, 
so that no one can boast. So there is a relationship between us and God, those of us who are believers now. This is foundational and fundamental in our work with the Lord. Then James tells us that in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. In other words, whatever you have that is good, good in the sight of God, is from the Lord. Just as the master gave his own possession to his uh, servants, the Lord generously has blessed us with so much. God gives us opportunities and privileges to use to benefit his kingdom and his people. If you go through scriptures, you will see how people use their gifts, use their opportunities, use their privileges to further the kingdom of God. You remember the story of this little boy in John 6 who gave five loaves of bread and two fish to do what? To feed 5,000 men. A little boy sacrifices lunch for the sake of others. I guess you might not think that this is serving the kingdom. I wonder if, we're to, if I were to be that boy, what I would have said to the disciples. Maybe something like this. You are grown up. Supposed to have known that you need food to feed these people. My parents were wise in giving me lunch. Why are you asking me to sacrifice my lunch for the sake of the grown-ups? That was not what John reported. He said he gave up his lunch. In Exodus 31, from verses 1 through 11, we see someone using his own skills, his natural abilities, Bezalel, to do God's work. You can talk about Barnabas, who took the risks of introducing Paul to the disciples. That was a risk, because this guy's new convert, people are running away from him. Barnabas said, I believe the story of his conversion. You can hold me accountable. This is my paraphrasing. You can hold me accountable, but I will risk you. Accept him just as you have accepted me. That is the kingdom way of living. Friends, even here in our church, so many people are using their talents. You go to the nursery room. You look at the faith sign in the Netflix area. Some of us have received birthday cards. Some of them have been prayed over by saints from this church. These are ways in which we swing our bad for the sake of the kingdom. What are you doing with what God has given you? It is important for you to know that you matter to God and that your contribution matters to the kingdom as well. Therefore, I will encourage you, swing your bat. By the way, we are supposed to come with our baseball bat, but we forgot it. <laughs> so we, we are we're planning between my son and I that we are going to bring his baseball bat, but blame it on. That would have been cool. So I swing it this morning. But This takes us to the second truth. The master gave his possession. The second is that the master held his servants accountable. You can see that in verses 
19 through 27. When you look at verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled account with them. He gave them enough time. Enough time to do what he has expected them to do. The man wanted to know what had been done with the trust he gave his servants. Listen, church, Jesus is trying to teach us something here, that we will be held accountable by God for the ways in which we manage opportunities and privileges and resources that he has entrusted to our care. With the first two servants, both of them took what the master gave them and immediately produced more. The lesson is not for you to double what God has given you. For these two servants, the emphasis is that they obeyed their master and put the trust into work. They took the risks to obey him. And they did that promptly. Friends, obedience needs to be done promptly as well. They were good stewards of what they were given. Matthew is silent about the challenges that overcame. He, he is very silent about that. But I think it is fair to assume that they had challenges both internally and externally. They had discouragement. Maybe people were telling them, hey, your, your master will not return. Just squander whatever has been given to you. Hey, you can wait a little longer. Hey, it's okay. We can do something different. Matthew just jumped to the outcome. He allowed us to wander in our imagination, but also to step into their reality and see what struggles that you might be going through now that might be similar to what they had experienced. But as you all know, it's not the way they thought servants' experience was. You wonder what went south for this third servant. They all had the same master, the same instruction, but different outcomes. As the third servant reported, he allowed fear and misunderstanding of the master to lead him to be an unfaithful, unwise, and unproductive servant. Friends, too often, people consult their fears and condition their actions on those fears. Some of us are afraid of failure. Others are afraid of success because it might bring more responsibilities which they don't want to accept. This is what happened to this thought servant. God will hold us accountable for how we handle the talent he has given us, the opportunities he gives, the finances he gives, the privileges he gives, the job, the neighbors, the educational opportunities we have. God will hold us accountable for the service opportunities 
he has given us, the social media platform that we have, the homes, the spouses, or spouse that we have, the children, the nieces and the nephews that we have. God will hold us accountable for what he has entrusted unto us. Our final truth, the master rewarded his servants justly. The two servants who put into use their gifts had this, the following statement. Well done, good and faithful. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Friends, in these words, you can see that the master was very interested in the result. He was also very interested in the method very interested in their motivation. He said, well, done. The result, you, what you did, it's done well. And you pursue this with excellence. Good. Your motivation was to be faithful to the instruction that I've given you. What is your mot motivation as you swing your bat? What is your motivation? Is it faithfulness? I've heard this said about Mother uh, Teresa. She said, hey, God had called me not to be successful, but to be faithful to the truth of the gospel. Wow. I wonder how many of us we boldly said that, that we are not motivated by success. We're not driven by success. Now, don't get me wrong. Those of us who are students here, I overheard a student here said, I wouldn't tell you where. I was saying, hey, hey, this semester I had A's all through. That is great. I love A's in my grade. God has called us to be faithful, to get all the A's for the right reason. The master rewarded him justly. Well done, good and faithful servant. But for the third servant, he said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew. Now this word knew can be translated as perspective, your perspective, this is your perspective about me. So you knew that I were, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well then, you should have put my money on a deposit with a banker so that when I return, I will have received it back with some interest. We can talk about God's warning against taxing your fellow brother and sister in the Old Testament. But we don't have uh, that luxury today. But what I want to draw our attention here is that the servant was not interested in expending his efforts to be fruitful. Perhaps he spent his time and energy on his own priorities. His basic reasoning was, it will not be worth it to do all this work and not get anything for it. 
Friends, this rationale was based on his perspective of his master, which was different from the other two. As we all have noticed from the reading, his view about his master was wrong. Very, very wrong. Because the servant, rather the master, excuse me, collected his one talent and added it to the one who had 10. It doesn't just make sense, humanly speaking. You say, oh, he has one. I think this guy has 10. We need to share. Yes. But the kingdom principle, that is God's kingdom principle, is that when you are faithful, more is given to you. And that's why earlier on I said that some of us are afraid to be successful in church. Some of us are afraid to bring out our giftings because... The church has not done a good job in helping us to walk within our comfort zone. By that I mean we don't protect you from burnout. The church failure shouldn't determine your action. For this master was very clear. Your obedience, or lack of it thereof, will determine my reward to you. The fear and misconception of the third slave are the keys to his failure and lack of character. By not taking any risks, he also misses the opportunity for gain. Too often we hold back Sometimes out of fear that someone else will do a better job. Sometimes out of reluctance to commit time and energy, hoping that someone else will do that. Church family, fear is a natural human phenomenon. It's, an exp it's, it's a natural human emotions. Even if I don't believe it, because I live with a therapist in my house, I should believe it now because every time we talk about emotions, that is my wife. So I believe that Fear is a natural human phenomenon, especially when risk is involved. Emma was afraid of striking out. But as believers, we must trust all the promises of God in the scripture. And we've heard this over and over, that we have about 365 promises of, do not be afraid, fear not. God is inviting us to take a dose for each day. Listen to what Father Richard wrote once about fear. I think I should have it on the slide. There you go. Good. Thank you. He said, if you surrender to the fear of uncertainty, life can become a set of insurance policies. Your short time on this earth becomes small and self-protective, a kind of cycling of wagons around what you can be sure of and what you think you can control, even God. That's what fear does. It provides you with the illusion that you are in the driver's seat, navigating on safe, small roads, and usually in a single one. 
predetermined direction that can take you only to where you have been or you have already been to. What are you afraid of losing control? What are you afraid of losing control over? Can you let God be in charge? Can you release control to God and watch your fear dissolve? Remember that the Lord will hold us accountable. He will reward us accordingly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, we are told that if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only us through the fire. In other words, you will lose everything. What is it that perhaps has the potential for you to be an unfaithful, unwise, and unproductive servant? Are you paralyzed by fear? Do you have a misunderstanding of who God is? Are you driven by selfish motives? Are you distracted by the things of this world? Or are you just plain lazy? Emma's story illustrates to us that her success was largely due to her believing in the words of her coach. Although Emma cannot control the outcome of her batting, she certainly has control over choosing to bat. Church family, you cannot afford to end 2023 like the third servant, who admitted to his fear but never repented of his unfaithfulness. He was aware of his mistake because hiding his talent was a mistake but never repented of trying to keep safe something that was supposed to be used. He failed to take the appropriate risks in putting into use that which the master gave him. Sometimes we keep safe what we're supposed to release. I think to end well, you will need courage to admit your unfaithfulness and therefore repent and courageously swing your bat again. You need courage to confront and overcome your fears. You need courage to overcome your misconception of who Jesus is. You need courage to overcome your mistake. But I believe also strongly that you need courage to commit to swinging your bat in the new year. Commit to your relationship with the Lord. And I'm grateful for uh, this year. She emphasized the need for us to be excited about our relationship with Jesus in the upcoming year. Commit to use your gift. Commit to use your natural abilities. Commit to use whatever the Lord has entrusted to you. It might be your vocation. It, your vocation. it might be what is putting food on the table for you. It is not for safekeeping. It is to be used. For this servant, although he did what was natural in their day, 
it was very natural for them to dig a hole and keep treasuries in the ground. They didn't have banks like we, we have today, a system that operates like ours. It was very natural for you to bury your, uh, your possession as a way of protecting and preserving them. But that was not the instruction. The instruction was go and do business with this, especially when we consider the parallel um, parable in Luke. I guess that you want to hear these words from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm sure you want him to invite you to come and enjoy of his happiness. And I dare suspect also that you want him to entrust you with more. You will need courage to do that. And perhaps you are wondering, what are the ways in which I can do this? If you look at the same Matthew 20, uh, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus gave us a sample of what we can do. He said, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit. I'm so grateful that I belong to a church that is doing some of these things. Think of our ESL. Think of our Tiger Breakfast, our Kids Club, our World Relief Program. These are some ways in which God is inviting us to participate as we wait for his coming. But I think also Jesus is inviting us to take a step further, to be with these people. Why? Because proximity breeds trust and mutuality. Distance breeds fear and suspicion. And therefore Jesus said, hey, for I was hungry, and you came, you were with me. You were with me. How are you going to swing your bow? Let me close with this quote from Tim Keller. I, I love what he said here, especially about the challenges of being faithful stewards as we wait for the return of Christ. Even though Keller was so uh, strong in his words, about the contemporary church. So Jesus' uh, Jesus's teaching consistently attracted irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have the same effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. Even our most abandoned ones we tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. I don't know what you are hearing from Tim Kelly. How are, you, we, how are you going to end the year? Remember that God has given us gifts, not for safekeep, but to be used. Why? Because he's going, to, he's going to hold us accountable and he wants to reward every of our efforts. He wants to bless us.
My prayer is that God will give you the courage not to be like the first servant in giving excuses. But instead, instead to lean into the opportunity to right the wrong on this last day in year 2023. And to commit to being like the first two servants in 2024. Now before I pray, I would love to give you the opportunity to reflect on 2023. Is there anything you need to talk to the Lord about? Has fear hindered you from doing something? Or misconception? Or mistake? Or even laziness? If you've not been able to swing your bat as you're supposed to, not just in the church, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, in places of sphere of influence. I would love to give you the opportunity to reflect on where the Holy Spirit is convicting you. I will invite you to ask for forgiveness. And even as we end this year, perhaps you are saying, Zach, you talked about relationship. No, I don't even have that foundation yet. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This is an opportunity for you to end the year well so that you can begin the new year with excitement of being with Jesus in prayers and fellowship. Let's pray. I'll give you a few seconds to reflect on that. What do you need to repent of? What restitution do you need to make? Settle your account with God now. How well do you want to start 2024? Lord, we surrender all to you, and we ask that you be honored, you be praised. We thank you for the privilege of entrusting us with 2023. Oh God, our Father, we come before you asking for forgiveness where we've missed opportunities or where sheer laziness that hindered us from swinging our back as we should. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your forgiveness. As we look with excitement into 2024, we do want to commit ourselves to you and trust you to hear our prayers of commitment, of consecration this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we are going to transition to consecration prayers. It's interesting that this year we had the consecration prayers on the 1st of January. And today is the last day of the year, and we are consecrating ourselves for the new year. 